0: This is the Apex United Methodist Church Podcast. So friends, um, this morning we are in the second to last week of our Philippians series. This is week nine of a ten week series. We have walked through just about the entirety of Paul's letter to the Philippians. Indeed, next week, if you've been tracking with us this whole time, we will have read every single word of that particular book in the Bible and, and really preached through it and sought to gain a deeper level of understanding and appreciation for Paul, for his writing, for the Philippian people, um, but even more so for how their story intersects with our story. Um, how this is not just a letter from Paul to these people in Philippi, um, but it's still a letter that God speaks through, the Holy Spirit speaks through. When we read it, um, we can read it as if it was being written to us. Now, we're in Philippians chapter 4, so if you have a Bible or a Bible app, I invite you to go to Philippians chapter 4. We're going to read verses 1 through 9, and we're really going to preach through them line by line, so that would be a good day to to pull that out. We'll also have it projected on the screens, and as, as you find it, I'm going to take a moment to say that you might recognize several of these verses Um, The fourth chapter in Paul's letter to the Philippians is one of the most often quoted um, chapters in Scripture. If you've seen, you know, Christian art or picture frames or things like that, chances are you've seen some of these verses, you know, imprinted on there. And, And the reason being is because, you know, they have spoken to many people in very profound ways. So as we hear them this morning, um, I invite you to hear these script, these verses, many of which you've probably heard before, um, perhaps with with fresh ears. So this is Philippians four verses one through nine. Paul says, "Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, my beloved." I urge Yodia and Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you also, my loyal companion, help these women, for they have struggled beside me in the work of the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me and the God of peace will be with you. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Well, there's so much depth in these nine verses and Paul really gets going um, right in verse one. It's it's a very tender passage, it's very endearing. We've talked at length about how much Paul loves this church. He loves the people of Philippi. But in verse one, he describes this church as his joy and crown. He uses that phrase, my joy and crown. And and we have, have known and read about the joy that the Philippian people have brought to Paul. Uh, but, but one word that I think distinguishes this and actually takes it to a different level is that word crown. It's, it's not the first time that Paul has used language like this. In fact, in another letter that he wrote to the Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians, he uses this language in this way. He says, As for us, brothers and sisters, when for a short time we were made orphans by being separated from you in person, not in heart, we longed with great eagerness to see you face to face. For we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, wanted to again and again, but Satan blocked our way. For what is our hope or joy or crown of boasting before our Lord Jesus that is coming? Is it not you? Yes, you are our glory and joy. And so as Paul references these people in Philippi as his joy and his crown. I believe he's expressing a sentiment that is, that is not just a sentiment of love, but is also one of pride. Paul is incredibly proud of these people in Philippi. He has been with them. He has preached the gospel to them. They have lived alongside him for a time, and they are taking his message and continuing to expand it, and so when he thinks of the Philippian church, clearly when he thinks of the Thessalonian church, I believe when Paul thinks about these communities of faith that he has planted, he sees them as his greatest testimony in life. He is very proud of them. He says in that passage I just read to the Thessalonians, when I am before God, when I see Jesus face to face, do you know what I'm going to brag about? You. I'm gonna brag about you. I'm gonna talk about you. You are my greatest boasting in the world. He is so proud of them. And I wonder if any of us can connect with Paul on that level. If if you've ever found yourself, you know, just deeply proud of, of someone that you love perhaps proud of, of their accomplishments or proud of just who they are for who they are. And, and, and perhaps if you can extend that a bit further, you're, you're proud of them and you feel a sense of accomplishment because you, know, you believe that in part because of your relationship to them in their life, it has helped to shape their character in this way that brings you great joy and pride. For some of you, that might be your children or your grandchildren, or or siblings, or it might be people that um, you have mentored or trained, or or colleagues, or you know any relationship that you've been in where you feel like you've given someone access to your life, and then by being in life together you have helped to shape and form this person into someone of of what you would consider great character that just makes you very proud, makes you very proud and it gives you that sense of pride. This is what Paul is talking about here. And one of the things that I love about You know, serving in this place specifically is if I can use the phrase, you know, a joy and crown making church, a a church that, you know, comes alongside people and empowers people to help invest in others such that you might have those relationships with people right here in the church that you can say, you know, I have walked alongside this person and they have grown and I've seen them grow and I think our relationship has been a part of that growth and I'm very proud of who they are today. Our church gives people opportunities to engage in that kind of relationship with one another. Whether it be through Sunday school classes or small groups, if you talk to people who are in leadership in our church for, long, for you know five minutes, they will start to tell you about the people who welcome them in to these places who came alongside them. They will tell you stories of people who might consider them part of their joy and crown. And one of the things that I, I love, and especially this past week, was I got to see one of the most beautiful joy and crown-making ministries that our church has, which is the Apex Outreach Service Project. We've talked about this at length. We had, you know, over you know, 200 people between um, high school youth and adult leaders all over Wake County um, this past week, helping to make homes warmer, safer, and drier for those who could not do that on their own and did not have the financial means to pay someone else to do it. But one of the coolest things that happens is that at the end of the week on Friday night, everybody gets together for a community service and it's, it's the youth, it's the adult leaders, it's their families, and, it's, and we invite the homeowners. And so on a random Friday night in July, we had close to 400 people packed into our sanctuary for a service of worship that lasted close to two hours. And one of the beautiful parts of it is that there is a, there is a time when the youth and the adults and anybody who's been impacted by AOSP that week can walk up to the microphone and talk about how they have seen God at work. And one young woman who just graduated from high school, you know, everybody shared something um, really touching and profound, but one young woman who just graduated from high school and served as a student leader, she came up and spent her time talking about someone in her group. And she started to become teary-eyed when talking about this individual in her group because it's someone that she came alongside, she felt like, you know, they had grown throughout the weekend and she looked over and towards the end of talking about this person, she said, you know, You make Jesus known to the world around you by who you are and I am so proud of you. And I felt in that moment I need to ask her to come preach (laughs) on Sunday, because that's the sermon. That's the sermon. She embodied that spirit of Paul and you could just see the joy in her face and the joy of the other person hearing those words that she was so incredibly proud of them. You know, I'm thankful that, that I have relationships in my life where I can look at people who have poured into me and developed me who might consider me part of their joy and crown. And I, I know that, that there are people who I've spent time with who I look at and I'm very proud of and, and I consider them part of mine. But, you know, one who comes to the forefront of my mind right away is, is my, my little girl, Amelia. Now, I love Amelia, not just because she's cute and adorable, she's all of those things, um, but because, you know, my wife and I, Amy, we strive, we're not perfect, but we strive to model, you know, this ethic of Christian living for our children. We want our children to grow up loving God, loving Jesus, desiring to have a relationship with Jesus. We want them to grow in, in that way and so we, we take steps, right? We we, we pray together, we, we read scripture together, we sing little songs about Jesus and we and we do those things. And when I see glimpses of that character reflect in her, like when we go and we, we were at Marbles Children's Museum all day yesterday, and she was being everything you would expect a three year old to be. She was being crazy and just, you know, off the wall and all those things, and she was great. And when we left, she nearly threw a tantrum because she didn't want to leave. But when I see her you know, want to share with others, when I see her engage perfect strangers um, from this spirit of, of great joy and great peace, when I see her forgive other children who, you know, there was a kid who knocked a whole, like, thing of blocks over onto her head, and she just looks around, and she looks at him, and she says, it's okay, it's okay. I, I really believe that's part, that's part of that spirit that, that is really growing in her. And I look at her, and I see that, and it's just, it makes me incredibly proud. And one of the things that, that Paul lets us know about right off the bat, this is just verse one of this passage, is that having this sentiment towards people, having someone that you can be proud of, that you have developed, that you have, you have helped to shape and form is not just a nice sentiment to have but is, is actually part of you know, who we are as Christian disciples. It's something that, that we should strive to actively be doing. It's a principle of Christian faith and discipleship. And so I can think of people right now who I would consider as a great joy and crown for me. And I would just ask you to consider who might that be for you? Who might that be for you? Have you told them? Have you shared that sentiment with them? Might be something to consider doing as we, as we think about those people that God has allowed us to come alongside and to shape and form. But Paul takes it one step further as he moves forward. So he says, you know, I love you. You are my joy and my crown. And then he makes incredibly personal a teaching that he has been giving in the abstract throughout the letter. So the next block of scripture, Paul references two women in the church, Yodia and Cintiq. He references them both. This is starting in verse two. If we can just put that block of scripture up there. I urge Yodia and I urge Cintiq to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you also, my loyal companion, help these women, for they have struggled beside me in the work of the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Now I want you to think for a moment how it might feel to be in the congregation that's listening to this letter be read aloud. You've heard all of this great, wonderful, flowery language about your church. Paul loves your church. He loves you so much. He's getting to the end. He's starting to really preach. It's getting really exciting. And then as he's reading, he calls you out by name and says, you and this other person aren't getting along. And so the church needs to help you figure it out. Could you imagine sitting there in that moment? Paul has just gotten done telling you that he's incredibly proud of you, but now, He's calling you out a bit and saying that for the sake of the church, these two individuals need to come together. Need to come together because the church won't continue to thrive if they're not together. Now, Paul uses this phrase, be of the same mind. He wants them to be of the same mind. He has been using that phrase throughout the passage be of the same mind with one another be of the same mind as in Christ Jesus and here he takes this incredibly abstract be of the same mind concept and makes it incredibly personal he gives it a name he gives it two names Yodia and Sintique. and the foundation of that has been if you quarrel amongst yourselves you're gonna give yourselves a harder fight than is necessary because the world around you, and Paul's talking to the Philippians, the world around you is gonna be hard enough for you to navigate with this faith. None of them want you to have it. So don't fight amongst yourselves. Be unified amongst yourselves. That's what's gonna help get you through what's challenging about being who you are. And I wonder if we can even resonate with that sentiment today. As we continue to see, how does our story really intersect with this story? Now, I believe that much of what goes on outside of you know the walls of the church, outside of here, is just it points to a culture of growing disunity. That if we are not people who think alike or act alike, then it's very difficult to see how you could make friends with one another. Conversation has become incredibly difficult. But if there was one group of human beings who would model what unity looks like to the world, then why shouldn't it be the church? Why not us? Why not the church? Here, Paul takes this be of the same mind, be unified. Paul takes that teaching and he gives it a name it's Yodia. It's Cintiq, it's these two individuals. They need to come together for the sake of the church. And I wonder, as we consider who is our joy and our crown, might we also consider who is our Yodia and Cintiq? Are there people within the life of this church or within the life of your family or friend groups or, or work colleagues or whoever where there is difficulty in your relationship, where there is strain? Is there space to imagine that what might seem impossible in reconciliation and forgiveness might be possible with God? That it might just not be possible, but that it might be necessary? As we seek to be people of great mercy and great forgiveness who are these people in our lives that make this abstract, be of the same mind, personal, where we can put a name on it. Who needs our forgiveness? Who needs us to reach out to them? Who needs us to seek that out in our lives? Maybe a friend at school, or someone, who needs that? Pinpoint it, live into it. And after talking about, you know, how proud he is of them and his joy and his crown. And after making this abstract concept personal by giving it a name with these two women in the church, Paul then you know, really lays out what he has been talking about for four chapters. And he says the roadmap to Christian living is actually pretty simple. Simple to put on a piece of paper, harder to live out. Rejoice in the Lord always, again I say rejoice. You know, Paul's writing this from prison. He's facing his own death. Yet he's talking about joy. And what I love about Paul is that for Paul, joy is not necessarily synonymous with happiness. But it's a joy that only comes from knowing the Lord. And it's a joy that manifests itself in hope. Persistent hope, even stubborn hope. Hope that's just there. Because Paul knows that the Lord is near to him. Now listen to the very next thing he says. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. And then he says, let your gentleness be known to everyone. Now Paul talks about gentleness a lot. And in fact, in Galatians chapter five, he calls it one of the fruits of the spirit, that if we are people who are living into, you know, God's like the way that God is calling us to live, then gentleness will be manifested in us. It'll be just part of who we are. We will be, you know, just naturally gentle in the Lord. But he says, the Lord is near to you. Let your gentleness be known to everyone, for the Lord is near. And then he he comes at it with this phrase that has always been, you know, a great encouragement and also a great thorn in my side. Do not worry. Do not worry. I don't know about you, but if you've ever been anxious, or, you know, at times in my life, I can be a constant and consistent worrier. And these passages in Scripture might sound familiar. Jesus brings it up in um, the Gospel of Matthew in the Sermon on the Mount. He talks about not worrying. Do not worry about um, tomorrow. Tomorrow, worry about itself. He says, do not worry, and then he says, do not worry, but by prayer and supplication and with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. You know, Paul reminds us that God is near to us, God is close to us, God is not some far away God, but God is right here in the midst of our presence. You gotta understand, the, the Jewish people for the longest time believed God resided in the temple, that there was a physical space in the temple is where God lived, and everywhere beyond that, such that when the temple was torn down, they thought, well, God's not here anymore. We're abandoned. It was scary. And here Paul is saying, you know, the Lord is near to you. The Lord is near to you. This is such a revolutionary teaching at the time, and then he finishes off with this great phrase, the peace which surpasses all understanding. Anybody ever heard that phrase before? The peace that surpasses all understanding will be with you. Again, this makes me think of one of Jesus' greatest teaching coming from John chapter 14, verse 27. Jesus says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, and I do not give as the world gives, so do not let your hearts be troubled and do not let them be afraid. Jesus reminds us that as he leaves, he said that to his disciples as he was getting ready to be betrayed. That he would give them a piece of himself, this great peace that would remain with them at all times, that he would be near even in the darkest moments. And I will tell you that in the darkest moments of my life, when I have felt a great depth of sorrow, and even when I felt, you know, a distance from God, there has been something sustaining me. And perhaps you can think, of times like that in your own life. Where where there has just been something there that has been hard for you to explain. I know that it's been present at times for me and it makes that passage, the peace that surpasses all understanding, I literally can't describe it to you. But it's with us. And then finally, as Paul closes this little section, he He tells them essentially to keep the main thing the main thing. This is starting at verse eight. He says, finally, beloved, whatever is true, honorable, just, pure, pleasing, commendable, if there is any excellence and if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Keep on doing the things that you have learned and received and heard and seen in me and the God of peace will be with you. In another letter, Paul says it this way. Um, This is Colossians chapter three, verse two. Set your minds on things that are above and not on things that are on earth. I wanna take a brief moment to teach us a little bit about a word that we use in the church sometimes. It's called liturgy, this word liturgy. Anybody ever heard the word liturgy? Liturgy in the church, when we talk about it, oftentimes we're talking about how we form the service of worship. What is the liturgy in order for the service of worship? Um, You know, if you come in here and worship in here, if you go to the traditional service, you might experience two different atmospheres, but the liturgy is the same. We gather, we sing, we proclaim God's word, we respond to the proclamation of God's word, and then we are sent forth to leave the building and to be the church in the world. It's the same liturgy. One of my favorite professors at Duke, his name was Stanley, his name is Stanley Hauerwasch, He talked about liturgy from a broader perspective, that there is a liturgy to our life, that the word liturgy literally means the work of the people. And it's simply how we order and rule our life. And here Paul says, let the liturgy of your life point you to Jesus. Let the liturgy of your life draw you closer to Jesus so that as you you make it a point to, to regularly be in patterns of worship, and prayer and, and scripture study and engagement and fellowship and communion and community as you are regularly in those patterns it will point you to be people of great humility people who strive for unity in all things people who are people of integrity it will point you in that direction it will point you to be people who establish joys and crowns in your own life people that you're proud of it will point you to be people who seek forgiveness and offer forgiveness even when it seems like it hasn't been um, earned or deserved. It'll draw you together. What is the rule and liturgy of your life? It's about so much more than church on a Sunday morning. How is your life drawing you closer to the Lord? such that you continue to reflect this character of Jesus that Paul has been talking about for four chapters straight. Integrity, unity, and humility. I'm gonna read this scripture to us one more time, and I invite you to hear it as if Paul were writing it to you today. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, my beloved, I urge Iodia and I urge Cintiq to be of the same mind in the Lord. Yes, and I ask you also, my loyal companion, help these women, for they have struggled beside me in the work of the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my co-workers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God.